encourage you to get your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 15. And uh, I picked a subject and passage that I thought would be very fitting for Father's Day. So happy Father's Day. Uh, good to be together on the first day of the week, and specifically to think of our Heavenly Father and the blessings that He's given to us, the model that He is for us in His holiness and His compassion and love for each one of us. So as we go to Luke 15, you might be noticing there what's, what's being brought up there. And it's, so it's the parable of the prodigal son. Most of, us, most of us know that story very well. At least we know the first half of it very well. Sometimes we forget the second half of it. Sometimes this parable has been called the parable of two sons. There are two sons in the, in the story. It could be called the parable of the compassionate father because you see the love of God and compassion in the father that is presented here in this scripture. So we're going to take a little bit closer look at it this morning. So what should be the response of a father to a repentant child? How should you respond? Now, I was talking to my kids recently, and I've, I've shared this before, but I want my kids to know that in life, you're going to have mistakes, you're going to have failures, you're going to mess up, but that your parents are here. And what we want for you is to be faithful to God and to take God's, the, the road of grace, take God's road of grace. You follow him and you be faithful to him, even though you will make mistakes, you will sin. And we want to be there to encourage you in that. And so a good father is going to show that compassion. He's going to make sure that there's always a road of God's grace, a way to, to continue to follow the Lord, to come to Him, to live in His, in His mercy. And so as we look at this story here, it's very beautiful and encouraging about the compassion of our God. We're going to read, uh, I want to read from Luke chapter 15 and read the events there that we read in that parable. And look at the details again, at least look at the themes uh, very briefly from Luke chapter 15. Look with me in verse 11. And so Jesus, again, if you, the context from the, our scripture reading this morning, that he's got tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees and scribes who are grumbling, and they're all around this crowd. And he gives this parable, and he says in verse 11, and he said, A man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give to me the share of my estate that falls to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. That's a very interesting thing. I was looking up this, the cultural background. In the ancient world, this wasn't a typical thing that the younger kids would get their inheritance early. It all came after the father had died. And so some commentators have said, this is kind of like him saying, Dad, I wish that you were already gone. It would have been an insult. But he asked for it, and his father gives it to him. Look at verse 13. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate, living recklessly. The word for living recklessly, I was looking at it. It's fascinating because I'd never seen this before. And usually this is what's translated as prodigal. Prodigal meaning wasteful. The Greek word means someone who doesn't save. I mean, it really is. It means someone who saves, and they put the, in Greek, they put the alpha right in front of it, which is to negate it, and to say that it's someone who doesn't do it. He didn't save any of it. He just took what God had given to him, and he went and spent it and used it all. Verse 14, and now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him in the fields to feed swine. And he was desiring to be fed with the pods that the swine 
were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. The fact that he had nothing, and in times of famine, it's very common for people to eat uh, these pods that were usually connected with specific trees. They would just eat anything they get their hands on in time of famine. And here, the pigs are eating it, and yet those who had hired him don't have any concern for him. They haven't given him anything yet, and yet he desires to eat what the pigs are eating. Look at verse 17. It says, And when he came to himself... He hit bottom. That's usually what we see. We see this with someone who lives recklessly. They hit bottom, and suddenly it dawns on themselves. You know, I can live a better way. I can live a different way. And the whole message here in the context you're going to see in a minute is on repentance. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, have more than enough food, and I'm dying here with hunger? I will rise up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And so he rose and came to his father. And listen, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father could recognize him. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, slaughter it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And summoning one of the servants, he began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not wanting to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and he said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and never have I neglected a command of yours. And yet never have you given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Child, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and is alive and was lost and has been found. The most beautiful stories and parables in the Bible, noted and admired. The message there is quite clear. It's Jesus talking to a mixed audience of Pharisees, very religious people, and then sinners and tax collectors as well. He makes a point to both groups. He says there are those that are among you essentially who are living wastefully, recklessly as the prodigal. You can come to the Father and repent. You can come to Him and He'll receive you and embrace you with compassion. And all the angels in heaven will celebrate. There will be rejoicing over your repentance. And then to the others, to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, to the scribes, to the kind of church people who look down upon those who, would, who lived a reckless life and have come back to it, uh, come back to the faith and come back to the Heavenly Father, how might they be looking upon Him? They'd be looking down upon Him and here the older brother is that picture. 
The older brother is the one who said, you, you never gave me anything even close to a fattened calf. You're celebrating this, but you've never shown me any of this kind of compassion. There's jealousy there and envy. A lot of themes that stand out in reading this. What stands out here is this, is that what God, what the Heavenly Father, what the Father said to the Son there, what Heavenly Father is saying to us is this, that we need to celebrate repentance. We need to celebrate repentance. It's a, it's a point of joy. It's something we should be happy about. And when someone is baptized, it should be a celebration. When my kids are baptized, when Megan was baptized, I don't remember what we did. Did we eat steak or did, you, did we go in and eat some Mexican? I think we ate Mexican food. When she was baptized, it was a great day. And I said, we're going to go and celebrate. We're having a party. We're going to do something as a family. And this is a big deal. I said, do you want steak or something else? So it's always steak because that's the fattened calf. I'm going with the Bible. All right. So with the boys, I already know why when he's baptized, he's going to say, like, yeah, I want steak. We're eating steak. So, and we'll, we'll get the fattened calf and we're going to enjoy it and celebrate it. And that's how you respond to someone who comes to God and comes with, um, with love to Him. Is we, we have compassion for that. We have love for that. That we want that. That repentance and a new life, a new life is a great thing and it's worth celebrating. So what we read here in the text again is you got a lot here from Christ. You have a warning against wasteful living. Don't live wastefully. Don't be someone who just gets what they have and they spend it on themselves. That's exactly what he did. You're going to find yourself hitting bottom. Then we have a message here again of repentance. What is repentance? And that's what I'm going to talk about more to, uh, this, this morning. Because as we go through the text and you look at the whole of the three parables there in Luke chapter 15, they're all about repentance. Whatever that is. What is repentance? And sometimes I hear people talking about repentance. They have this idea and that idea. Let's look at what the Bible has to say about the meaning of repentance. We'll come back to that. What we also see here is we see a father's compassion. We see God's compassion, his love for us. That God wants us to live in this way. That there's happiness in living uh, the Christian life. There isn't any other better way to live. But in the grace of God, you can go out on your own and you can set your own goals and you can spend your money recklessly. And what's going to happen? You're going to find yourself hitting bottom. You're going to find yourself without. The best way is to stick by your father in heaven. Other things we see here, we see redemption. And no matter the mistakes you do, the failures, the sins that you, you commit in life, you can come back. All right. We often hear people say, you know, you know, uh, once you fall away, you can't come back. You, but here we have an example of that. This son has fallen away. He has a process of redemption coming back to God. And we see the theme of restoration. Restoration. Not only is he redeemed, not only does his heavenly, uh, not only does his father greet him, and in our case, our heavenly father greet us, he gives him blessings. He celebrates. So he puts a new robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, kills the fatted calf. What were they saving the fatted calf for? You know what they saved the fatted calf for back then? Big parties is what they saved him for. So maybe there was a wedding coming up. It might have been the older brother's wedding coming up. There might have been some other feast that was intended that was coming ahead of time. And in this case, he says, no, we're done. We're going to celebrate right now. Everything that we have prepared, we're going to celebrate the, my son coming home. And he talks about his son. And notice the description there in the parables. Jesus says it twice. My son was dead and now he's alive. He's come back to life again. And that's the whole theme of the gospel, isn't it? That Jesus died and he resurrected. And that we do the same thing. That we die to ourselves and we rise to a new life. It's the whole picture of the gospel. And here it is beautifully pictured in Luke chapter 15. 
We also see the problem with jealousy and resentment from these religious leaders to look down where you lived however you want to. You did this to yourself and have no compassion. We want to put that away. There's a need for us that might look down upon others to repent of that. To realize that compassion and kindness is what brings people to restoration, that brings us to our Heavenly Father. That we want to draw others to Christ, not with condemnation and judgment, but with love. Not with jealousy and resentment, but again with with love. And again, we've got to look at repentance as a time of Well, finally they're getting things together. No, not like that. Finally they're getting their life together. Well, it's too late now. No, none of that is true. But we respond with repentance, anyone's repentance, with rejoicing and celebration. It's a wonderful thing. As you read there in the text, there's music and there's dancing. It's joy. We'll look at more of that in a moment in some of the context here to that passage. But God the Father celebrates those who return from wasteful living. In fact, the scriptures we're going to see, the angels in heaven rejoice over those who repent. How awesome. And they think, oh, repentance. You know, that's, that's what all the Christians are, are screaming out there. The world's hearing this. And uh, they're thinking repentance is something maybe I can never do. Or I don't know what it is. Or, you know, everybody's telling me to repent. And uh, they feel this burden. There's a lot of negative connotations that go along with Repentance, But what we should be hearing is repentance is starting over. It's I'm changing the way that I'm thinking, my mind, my heart, and that change of thought and mind and heart is going to set me in another direction. I'm going toward the Father now. I'm not going to sin. I'm leaving that world behind. And so one of the messages, again, it stands out throughout the all of Luke 15 is celebrate, rejoice. This is a wonderful thing, repentance is. Look right here. Luke chapter 15 and verse 7. At the very beginning of Luke 15, you get the parable of the lost sheep that was read this morning. The parable of the lost sheep. And this is what we read in Luke 15 and verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Someone might say, how is that right? It's very fitting, isn't it? For those who you understand that and you've prayed for someone that you really you care about who's gone astray, who's living a wild life, for them to repent and become devoted, it's, it's awesome. It's an amazing thing to just watch. And everybody in here should be able to say and think about their own repentance. You know, everyone who's been baptized, you know, I've, I changed the way I was thinking, I died to that old person, and I set off in a new way. And, there's, and the angels in heaven rejoice when we did that, when we came to Christ. It's an amazing thing to think of. Luke 15 and verse 10, we have the parable of the lost coin. Remember the woman who lost one of her coins and uh, the depictions there, a lot of the floors were made out of stone and the cracks weren't usually sealed. So it'd be very difficult to find that coin and to, to, to possess it. And it might have been a part of her dowry. Either way, it says here that when she finds it, this picture is of, again, the angels in heaven repenting of, uh, sorry, rejoicing over repentance. So Luke 15 and verse 10, just so I tell you, just as Jesus' words, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's an amazing thing. So people here today, sinner repent, it should be, sinner repent, so 
We rejoice, we celebrate, because it's a wonderful thing to redevote yourself to the Heavenly Father. And so repentance is, repentance is changing your mind. That's literally what the Greek word metanoia means. It means to change your thinking, to change your mind. You know, often you, we're told repentance means to be sorry for what you did. Not quite. I mean, sorrow is part of it, but it's a certain kind of sorrow. The Bible even talks about, there's a, there's a section in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it talks about worldly sorrow. People have worldly sorrow when they do things that are wrong, and then they have godly sorrow. It says the worldly sorrow doesn't produce repentance, but godly sorrow does. Godly sorrow produces repentance, the change that we have in us. You ever wonder, you know, like, I'm struggling with a sin, I'm struggling with something in my life, and I'm sorry about it, but why is it that I haven't repented from it? Because I haven't had godly sorrow. I haven't had the sorrow that God would have me to have over this. It hasn't devastated me and it hasn't shook me up the way that it should. I haven't hit bottom yet. It makes you wonder, what should we do about that? And there's a number of scriptures that tell us more about the state of changing our mind and our thinking and our hearts to, to fully repent. And we'll look at that in a moment. But another thing we want to look at here as far as changing the mind and repentance, what does it have to do with the gospel of Christ? And someone might say, well, it's, it's a kind of a connected to the gospel or it, it comes on later. No, it's a part of the salvation in the very beginning. You have to repent to be saved. And Jesus says this as he went out preaching, and notice what his preaching was. Everywhere he went preaching, at the very beginning he was saying, Repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, Jesus goes out preaching. He says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Change your thinking, go away from your sin, and believe in the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ that the Messiah has come. And I love this. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 5 and verse 32. He says, I have not come to call the righteous. Very fitting for what we just studied. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. It's very clear. Christ came to save sinners. Which means what? If I'm saved, then I was a sinner. I need to put away of my self-righteousness. My own justification. My own good thoughts about who I am as a, as a good person. And say, I'm a sinner. Or as Paul said, he is the chief of sinners. And to recognize, I need to repent. I need to change the way that I think. And it's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. And I need to listen to the words of Christ. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus is resurrected from the dead and he gives the great commission, the details there, he gives some more that, that, that's not in Matthew and Mark. He says this in Luke chapter 24. He says, thus it is written, this is Jesus talking, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. Well, that's the Gospel. Very good. All right, what goes along with that? What's the point? Why did Jesus do that? Why did he die and rise from the dead? Why is he giving everlasting life? Why is he offering a way to, for us all to be resurrected on the last day? What's going to happen there? What's the process of change? And he says right here, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. So when you're, the gospel is to be preached everywhere. It's not only the death and resurrection of Christ, it's what it does in us. The change that it brings about on us, that we repent, that we have forgiveness, that we're released from sins, and that this is a part of proclaiming the gospel. You cannot proclaim and teach the gospel without teaching repentance. So our Heavenly Father says, I'll make a way, you come home. I'll embrace you, I come to you in compassion, I give you forgiveness, and I give my own Son on your behalf.
That's the love of God for us. In Acts chapter 17, we have another example here, Peter preaching. He's preaching there on Mars Hill, the Areopagus. And he's preaching to those who believe in false gods. And he says, the time has come in Jesus Christ that God calls all people everywhere to repent. That God commands, he no longer overlooks any ignorance of him. You can't say that God is unknown to you. God says he won't accept that. But now God commands everyone everywhere to repent. He's fixed the day in which he will judge the world through a man whom he has determined, having given proof of this by raising him from the dead. And that's how Peter concludes that message to those there in the Areopagus. A lot of questions come to mind. You have some people today that say, well, you know, not everybody can repent. Is that true? That would be a very peculiar thing if... Acts chapter 17, like we just read, and you have Peter saying God's commanding all people everywhere, every nation to repent, and yet some people can't repent. And there are some people that teach that today. They're just saying, well, some people were created uh, to be saved, and some were created just to go to hell. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, that God wants all people to be saved, and he says this right here, 2 Peter Chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some consider slowness, but is patient toward you. Our Father in heaven is patient toward us. That's His compassion. You know, we, we could do one or two things wrong, and God said, that's it, you're done. You'd be dead into judgment. But God doesn't do that. He's patient toward us. When we would not want to be patient toward those who've done wicked things, In this world, God is patient. And it says here, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's God's desire. God wants everybody to be saved and all people to repent. It's a wonderful message. It's a message of celebration. It's a display of grace from our Father in heaven. And our Heavenly Father will immediately embrace anyone who comes to repent. It, it's been that. It's been that way since even before Christ. But the message is exemplified in Him and emphatic through the Gospel. Romans 2 and verse 4 tells us more about our Heavenly Father, that He is loving and kind, forbearing and patient with us. In fact, in Romans 2 verse 4, Paul says this, Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads to repentance. And sometimes I'll, I'll see on the news a group of people being prideful about whatever kind of sexual behavior they want to be prideful about. And then you've got another group over there telling them, you're going to hell, and yelling at them from across the street. And I wonder about that approach. You know, sometimes in the church we need a hellfire sermon. And uh, we see a lot of preaching from Jesus in regards to hell in the Bible. But I don't see him preaching like that. What I see here is a message even right here in the parable. He just said in front of a mixed audience, he gives a parable of the prodigal son, the parable of two sons, and he shows what you need is a compassionate and loving Heavenly Father that you come to for His kindness because it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. You remember when you repented, when you became a Christian? Why was it? I repented because I knew that God loved me and He sent Jesus to die for me. I remember. I was 11 years old. 
And I knew right then, I knew the instruction in the Bible, and I said, I'm going to repent, and I want to be baptized. I want my sins washed away. Because my Father in Heaven gives that to me. As I mentioned this morning, many have a misconception about the meaning of repentance. Repentance, again, is not merely sorrow. It's a godly sorrow that leads to you changing the way that you think. And as you read the book of Romans, you read more about this. Repentance is not merely changing your behavior. It's a transformation. It is a change of the mind. It's a renewing of the mind, to giving yourself as a living sacrifice, not to be conformed to the world, but to be renewed. How? By the transformation, renewing of our mind. And Romans 8 says when we're going to change our behavior, we need to, um, we need to set our minds upon Christ and upon His Spirit. That is repentance. That is to set our minds upon His Word. And that's what begins and initiates a change in our behavior. It starts with the way that we think. So repentance is changing one's mind that changes one's actions. It changes us toward our Creator. It's us running to our Heavenly Father. I ask you this morning, have you repented? You look back in your life and you know that you've repented of sin, then there's no reason for us to look down on contempt upon anybody else. But to look at repentance as a wonderful, a great thing, a way to come to our Heavenly Father, to receive His blessings. I love these words of Christ in Revelation 3 and verse 19. Jesus says this, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, and therefore be zealous and repent. And so we see the love of Christ. And then it compelling us and directing us in our life and what we should do to be zealous and repent. And as I mentioned as well, Acts chapter 2, Peter gives a sermon on Pentecost. He teaches the gospel. And we remember this, verse 37 and 38. Now when they heard this, the gospel, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Our Heavenly Father wants to pour out all of His blessings upon us. He wants us to show His kindness and grace. To give us things unimaginable to the world. To give us everlasting life and the hope of the resurrection of the dead in the last day. And I want it. I hope you do too. That should drive us to constantly be renewing our mind. Constantly be pursuing repentance and turning from evil. And to come to our Heavenly Father knowing that there will be rejoicing and celebration in heaven for everyone who repents. This morning you need to make your life right. You've changed your mind. You're set in a different direction. You've repented of your sins. You can confess your faith. Put on Christ in baptism. You can find someone this morning. You can, if, you've, if you repent, you've already been baptized. And go to God in prayer. Confess your sins to Him, and the blood of Christ will wash away all your sins. 1 John 1 and verse 9. Whatever your needs are this morning, let's go to the Lord. Let's go to our Heavenly Father.